Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5, pages 5 and 6 in the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 and reading through chapter 6, verse 8. Genesis chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he begot sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 800 years, 807 years, and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. After he begot Mahaliel, Canaan lived 840 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahaliel lived 65 years and begot Jared, and after he begot Jared, Mahaliel lived 800 years, 830 years, and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 100 and 87 years, and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, and begot a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. 
There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he had made man on earth, that he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made, ma- made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This, thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God addresses the serpent after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. God addresses the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. At the time that God said it, there was no enmity between the woman and the man and the serpent. The man and the woman had sided with the serpent against God. But God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and them. I'm going to bring them back to my side. And then he said also, enmity between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. Ever since then, mankind can be divided into the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. Those who side with Satan, those human beings who side with Satan are Satan's seed. Not snakes, but people. Like the people who opposed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You, you Pharisees, you scribes, you are of your father the devil. Your father the devil. These were children of Abraham, members of the covenant community, circumcised on the eighth day, and yet they are of their father the devil because they are doing the works of the devil in opposing Jesus. And then there's the seed of the woman, those whom God has rescued from the human race and brought back to his side, the covenant community, the sons of God. This division is emphasized in the book of Genesis in the very next chapter after chapter 3, when chapter 4 describes the descendants of Cain, the the descendants, uh, the family line, the covenant, the uh, line of descent of, of Cain's family. And it begins with a murderer, and it ends with a vicious murderer, uh, a man named Lamech, who boasts to his two wives that uh, he has avenged himself for a slight injury by killing a man. Uh, He takes vengeance into his own hands. God had put a mark on Cain because it was clear from that time that vengeance belongs to God and nobody may take vengeance except God. Vengeance is mine and I shall repay, says the Lord, it would say later in Scripture. But that principle was understood when God marked Cain so that no one would take vengeance on him. But Cain does, uh, Lamech, his descendant, doesn't care. He says, uh, I will take care of myself. I'll defend myself. I'll defend my own honor. I'll put myself in the place of God and defend my honor with murderous anger, even for someone who slightly injures me. This is the line of Cain. This is the seed of the serpent. 
Lamech is seventh in line from Adam of Cain's line. And the number seven represents uh, uh, evil coming to its perfection. If you can talk about perfect evil, uh, uh, Lamech embodies uh, the perfection of evil. He is as evil as they come. His children are quite inventive. They make uh, many advancements in agriculture and science and the arts, which makes life easier. But it doesn't make them righteous. No, it does not make them righteous. That's Cain's line. That's chapter 4. But now our focus this evening is chapter 5. And it begins with the birth of Seth. A new line. This line is called the line of promise. The line of the covenant. These are those who are the seed of the woman. That's uh, evident with Enoch, it's evident with Lamech, and uh, so that's what we want to look at uh, here this evening. And we want to take note of three things uh, in particular. We want to take note that uh, uh, though this is the covenant line, the line of promise, nevertheless death comes to all save one. We want to take note of the faith uh, that is at uh, work in this line, the faith of Lamech in naming his son Noah, and we want to take note of the corruption of this line when they begin to intermarry with the daughters of men. First of all, we take note that uh, this litany of names and ages has a very definite pattern to it. Uh, we can rejoice because it emphasizes confident continuity and the blessing of God who allows man to experience life and to be fruitful and multiply and begin to fill the earth. The long lives of these uh, ancient patriarchs is uh, probably due to the fact that God restrains the outworking of sin on the human body. Uh, the longer human beings exist in the world and from one generation uh, to the next, our genetic code gets weaker and weaker, but that means at the beginning it was very strong and uh, there wasn't a lot of disease and people lived for a long time. Their long lives ensured the faithful transmission of the truth. Uh, for example, uh, Noah's father Lamech was 50 years old when Adam died. Uh, Noah was the first generation to not be able to hear from Adam himself the account of the creation and the fall as they had uh, experienced it and as God, God had uh, revealed all things to them. But uh, the genealogy also reminds us of the curse because in each person named except for one, their account ends with, and he died. And he died, and he died again and again. Death comes. We're reminded of Romans 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men. And Romans 5, verse 17. By the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Even in the covenant community, even among the seed of the woman, even among those who are looking to God and walking with God in faith and trusting in the promises, death comes. Death is certain. When Joshua 
gave his farewell address to the elders of Israel. He said, I am about to go the way of all the earth. When David was giving his farewell instructions to his son Solomon, he said, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you and I are also going to go the way of all the earth. You can be certain that I will die and you will die. There's an old adage and much truth to it, even though it is a bit hackneyed, but nevertheless, the old must die and the young can die. And death comes to young and old alike every day. It may well be that before this coming week is over, you will hear the report of my death. Or before this week is over, I will hear the report of your death. And not just from COVID-19, from thousands of causes uh, sick, sickness, illness, accident, uh, violence, all kinds of things cause people to die, and people are dying every day. That is the way of all the earth. A lot of people don't like to think about that. We want to put it out of mind. We want to th- think death is what happens to other people. Some people think that if they never go to a funeral home, if they never go to a hospital, if they never go to a funeral, that somehow they can keep death at bay because hospitals are where people die. So if I don't go there, I won't die. And if I go to a funeral home, that that reminds me of my own mortality. I don't want to be reminded of my own mortality. And I don't want to go to a funeral for the same reason because I don't want to be reminded of my own mortality. We try to put it out of mind. We could if we would. We would if we could. (laughs) But I'm here tonight to tell you that sin has entered the world. And because sin has entered into the world through one man... Death has come to you and to me, and we're going to die. The tragedy is not dying, but the tragedy is dying without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not committed your way to the Lord, you are in great danger. You are still in your sins, still under condemnation. And there is no hope for you apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But everyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is assured, even though you die, yet shall you live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The death of the body isn't really death. The second death, the lake of fire, that's, that's what death is all about. And that can never touch you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that regard, you will never die because... Christ has saved us by experiencing death for us in our place. But now, in this litany of death, there is a glorious exception. There is this Enoch who walked with God and was not because God took him. What's that all about? Walked with God and was not because God took him? Well, the New Testament gives us a little bit more information about him. Hebrews 11 verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And of course, Hebrews 11, when it talks about pleasing God, it's talking about a life of faith. Without faith, the chapter begins, without faith it is impossible to please God. Enoch was a believer in God. 
He had faith in God, and he walked with God. That means he gave his faith legs. His faith produced works of faith. It produced a life of obedience, and that life of obedience was a a sanctified life that resulted in close communion and fellowship, such close communion and fellowship that God rewarded it by sparing him having to taste death. God took him directly to heaven without having died. Now, why would God do that? Well, God wanted to give witness to that ancient world that by grace, through faith, God is more powerful than death. The ancient world saw that God can, can give us escape from death. We know from Hebrews chapter 11 that the reason Abraham willingly offered up Isaac was because he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Where did Abraham get the idea that God could raise a dead person, that God is more powerful than death? I'm sure that part of it was from Enoch, from the the history of Enoch. He knew that history. He knew that God is more powerful than death. If one man can be spared from death, others can be spared or rescued from death as well. The ancient patriarch Job said, Though this body be destroyed, yet in my flesh I will stand upon the earth and I will see God. He knew that that even though the worm should eat his body, his body would again stand on the earth. He, He believed in resurrection. How did he know about resurrection? Well, in part because of Enoch. One One rescue, one person saved from death gave confidence to the world that God is more powerful than death. And in that regard, Enoch is a type of Christ. Because how how do you and I know that God can rescue us from death? Well, not so much from Enoch because he doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the church today. Uh, This may be uh, the first sermon you've heard in a long time about uh, Enoch. Uh, I don't know. I've only been around for three years, and I've only been here for two of those years. So uh, I haven't heard all the sermons preached here. But it's, it's, it's not often that Enoch gets a lot of attention. But there is one who was rescued from death who gets a lot of attention, namely Jesus Christ. And he was not only rescued from death by being spared death, he was rescued from death after having died. Enoch was a type of the resurrection. Jesus is the real thing. And because Christ has been raised, we know that when he comes, first Christ, then when he comes, those who belong to him will also be raised from the dead. Our faith in resurrection is based on one resurrection, just as the ancient worlds believed in resurrection based on one example. That's what Enoch is all about. It confirms It confirms to the ancient world and to us also, not only because of the resurrection of Christ, but also because of the foreshadowing of it, of Christ's resurrection in Enoch, that our God is more powerful than death. And though, even though you and I die, we have nothing to be afraid of. For having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that when he comes, he will raise up, he will bring us with him, meaning our spirits will be with him in heaven. He'll bring with him those who have fallen asleep and then raise up their bodies. Body and spirit will be reunited. The earth will be cleansed with fire. Then God will come down and make his home on the earth and we will live on that new earth 
in all, for all eternity and the glory and splendor of our great God. Death is not to be feared because Christ has been raised from the dead. That's what Enoch points to. But now, there's another thing that we need to take note of here. Not only that death comes to all save one, but we also need to take note the fact that Lamech puts his faith for deliverance in the promised seed. Now, Enoch was seventh in line from Adam. Jude tells us that. You can count it out for yourself or take Jude's word for it. Uh, Enoch was seventh from Adam. Lamech of Cain's line was seventh from Adam. There's a contrast going there between the two sevenths. Uh, Perfect evil in Lamech of Cain's line. Uh, Great faith and obedience and blessing in the seventh from uh, Seth's line. But now there's another contrast. Both lines culminate in a Lamech. Uh, the Lamech of Seth's line is ninth uh, as opposed to seventh in Cain's line. But both have the same name. And because both have the same name, uh, you again are invited to contrast the two. Who does Lamech of Cain's line put his faith in? He puts his faith in himself. I will defend myself. You know, we read a psalm in which, uh, let God be your defense. God will take care of your defense. No, says Lamech of Cain's line, I will defend myself. I will defend myself. I'll take, I'll take the place of God. I'll be my own God. But Lamech of Seth's line puts his faith in Noah. He's feeling the, the burden of the curse, the curse of God upon the earth that makes toilsome labor. I imagine uh, he's also a bit distressed that when, when Lamech of Seth's line was 50 years old, Adam died. And a hundred years later, when Lamech is uh, 150 years old, Seth dies. And uh, he's beginning to see uh, Adam and Eve's children. Adam and Eve probably are dead now. And Adam and Eve's children are beginning to die. And they have painful soil. And they're feeling the weight of the curse of God against the earth because of mankind's sin. And he wants deliverance. And where does he put his hope for deliverance? He names his son Noah, which means comfort. He's looking for his son to deliver him from the curse. Is that right? Should he do that? Well, what did God say to to the serpent? I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. And regarding her seed, God immediately says, He, meaning singular, He shall bruise your head. In the words of Romans, uh, He will crush your head. (laughs) He'll deliver a fatal blow. God had said deliverance or or defeat of the enemy, which is uh, equal to deliverance, enemy's power, that comes through the seed of the woman. And so it's right for Noah to, to look to the seed, to his children, to his child, for deliverance. And his faith wasn't far off, because although Noah is not the Savior, he certainly is a Savior, another one who foreshadows the coming of Christ by delivering the world from the wrath of God by building an ark and taking into the ark his family and those whom God brings to him two by two of all the animals. 
He was the means through which the world is saved uh, from the wrath of God. He is the Savior of the ancient world and allows the world to go on, to continue. Uh, If God hadn't promised deliverance, He probably would have ended it all right there, but He promised deliverance, and so uh, the world has to continue, the covenant line has to continue, and so He he chooses Noah and brings Noah to Himself, and, and Noah works, and through His work the world is saved, as indeed God would one day send His Son, and through His Son the world would be saved, some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, all whom God would call to Himself through His Word and Spirit. It's a beautiful thing to see uh, Lamech of Seth's line putting his trust in the promise because he's showing us what we should do as well. Put our faith in the seed of the woman who is also the seed of Abraham, who is also the descendant of David, who is indeed Christ the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the promised seed, the singular seed of the woman who defeats Satan who delivers us from the curse and brings us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Put your faith in Him and you will be delivered from the power of evil. But now a third thing we need to take note of here and that is the, uh, the corruption uh, of the world. And how does this come about? Well, it comes about when the sons of God marry the daughters of men. There's a lot of speculation as to what that is all about. Uh, you can read some books that say uh, maybe uh, angels started marrying human beings and uh, produced uh, giants, uh, supermen, like uh, uh, Zeus marrying the queen of the Amazons and producing Wonder Woman. You know, uh, uh, Maybe that's what's going on here. Well, uh, that is the stuff of, of myth and legend, Roman and Greek uh, myth and legend and so forth. Uh, Uh, It's not Scripture. Uh, The phrase sons of God and daughters of men has to be understood in context. And the context is the development of these two lines of the human race. Those who are the children of God, a phrase found all throughout Scripture to describe the covenant line in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It means the people who believe God, who trust God, who look to God to be their deliverer and their Savior. That's the sons of God. The daughters of men are those daughters of Cain's line who are not trusting in the promises, who are trusting in themselves, who have great culture and inventiveness and that sort of thing. And, you know, it sometimes, not sometimes, it happens a lot that, that people who are raised in a Christian environment but who do not themselves embrace the Christian faith but who imbibe much of its culture indeed do great things because... Uh, They have instilled in them at an early age a a good work ethic and a good morality. And because they believe in works righteousness rather than uh, uh, righteousness by faith, they they become workaholics in terms of accomplishing things. And and they become great heroes in human history. Uh, You often often will find that in history, that somebody who uh, was very famous was the child of a minister who... Uh, but the child departed from the faith, but nevertheless took a lot of the culture of the Christian faith uh, with him into his secular life. Well, these are the, the ancient uh, men of renown of old who are the children of these marriages. But God will not strive with them. He will not support them anymore. 
You know, the psalmist says, uh, you breathe into us the breath of life and we live and you take your spirit from us and uh, we die. Well, he says in 120 years, you're done. The 120 years would give time, Noah time to build the ark. Uh, but uh, judgment is coming. And uh, Noah became a, a preacher of righteousness uh, to his generation, calling them to repent before the flood came. But, uh, but they would not listen. But what we need to take note of here is that the corruption of the church is what brought down the wrath of God on the whole world. Some people uh, today, uh, considering this pandemic, are thinking, you know, God is punishing the world because the world is so wicked. But it's far more likely that judgment is beginning with the people of God, as the New Testament says, that, that this is more a response to the heresies that are so prevalent in Christendom today in terms of a health and wealth gospel, a social justice gospel, or a gender-neutral gospel, or all kinds of heretical views that are baptized by the name of Christian that are prevalent in the world today. God is upset with His church And if this pandemic is the wrath of God, it's more likely the wrath against corruptions of the church rather than corruptions of the world. We need to take this to heart. God doesn't like it when His people intermarry with the world. It was disaster in Numbers 25 when the Moabites seduced the Israelites and brought down the wrath of God on Israel in a plague. Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, was led astray by his foreign wives, and the whole kingdom suffered and was divided and greatly weakened. They lost the glory of... of, He he lost the glory, and uh, Israel lost the glory of the first part of his reign, and it was never regained. Ahab was led astray by his wicked wife, Jezebel. And the Apostle Paul says to you, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And again, 1 Corinthians 7.39, Christians must marry only those who belong to the Lord. Marry only in the Lord. So many times it happens that a, a young woman will see a bad boy. A boy who's reckless and careless and does terrible things, but she'll, she thinks she sees some bit of goodness down deep inside of him, and she just knows that, that she can bring it out and she can save him. It hardly ever works out. <laughs> or a young man sees a young woman who's been beat upon and abused, and he has a heart of compassion for her and wants to rescue her and, and save her and, and marries her, but... Again, bad company ruins good morals. More often than not, the unbeliever brings the believer down to the unbeliever's level rather than vice versa. Courtship and marriage is not a proper means of evangelism. And when we do it, it not only is bad, has bad consequences, but it displeases God. We are His bride. We belong to Him. And uh, we must live holy lives and not be yoked together with unbelievers, but rather 
give ourselves to the Lord in obedience to Him and His will for our lives. Well, this is the account of the line of Seth, a line that produces two men who are foreshadowers of Christ, Enoch and Lamech, but one that also shows us that salvation can't come from the church. The church, in the final analysis, is also a corrupt institution in the world and cannot bring the glory of God into the world. God has to do that. He has to send His own Son to save us. And so we must look to Him, not to ourselves. Amen. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the history of ancient times. We thank you that you blessed Adam and Eve and gave them Seth to replace the slain son, Abel. And we thank you from his line came many who trusted you and served you and served you well. We thank you that you gave the ancient world hope regarding your power over death and show us people putting their faith in the promised seed as we must do also. We pray that we would continue to look Uh, to Christ our Savior, and not to ourselves or the church to save the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.